South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Townsend Washington working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Tuesday, December 6, 2022. President Salva Keir's party terminates membership of the country's first vice president, Riyak Machar, and former Secretary General Pagan Amum. My removal in that sense from his party is the biggest joke of the year. And South Sudan prepares 750 soldiers to take part in restoring peace in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. They are still um, under training while the government is uh, exploring ways of um, giving them the necessary arms. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. A decision-making organ of South Sudan's main political party, the Sudan People's Liberation Movement, has terminated the membership of the country's first vice president, Riyak Machar, and former Secretary General Pagana Mum. For VOA News, Wake Simon Wudu reports from Juba. The decision to dismiss Riyak Machar and Paganamum came during a three-day meeting of the National Liberation Council of the Sudan People's Liberation Movement, or SPLM. The decision completes efforts to oust the two senior leaders from the main party faction led by President Salva Kiir. Kual Atembol, the SPLM National Secretary for Political Affairs, told the reporters yesterday that other senior members of the party have replaced the two former executives. Atema says during this week's meeting, the SPLM's National Liberation Council named the vice president in charge of the economic cluster, James Wani Iga, as the party's first deputy chairperson. Atema says Peter Lamboth was confirmed as the SPLM's secretary general. Because we have gone now for almost six years, and once you rebel against the, the party, you don't need even a degree to be relieved. Automatically, you have have relieved your, yourself because Riyang Machar rebelled against SPLM. Why should he, he, he continue to be the deputy chair again? And he has gone and arranged, established his own party called SPLM IO. Atem says the move was taken in a bid to end the internal administrative mess that has existed within the party for years since the defection of some of the party's top members. It is reorganization because it seemed that the SPLM was disorganized all, all this time because most of their senior staff rebelled against it, like the first deputy chairman, secretary general, and members also. So this is part of the reorganization. Pagan Amom, the former secretary general of the SPLM party, has downplayed the move by President Kerr's SPLM faction to oust him. My removal in that sense from his party is the biggest joke of the year. How can you remove somebody who has never been a member of your party? I have been or was the Secretary General of the historical SPLM before the split as a result of the war of uh, 2013, which was uh, introduced by Kiir himself in the country, 
in an attempt to silence dissent and the voices calling for reforms and calling for the return to the vision of SPLM. President Kerr's office has said he was not responsible for the 2013 conflict and accuses former rebels led by Machar for instigating a coup attempt. Amom describes the latest changes as the last stroke in dismantling the SPLM as a revolutionary movement that spearheaded the liberation struggle. He says the move is the final act of betrayal of the vision of the SPLM as articulated by the late revolutionary leader John Garang. He also calls it an act of trickery to the party's program of building a democratic state based on equal citizenship and a rule of law and of building an inclusive nation out of all ethnic groups. If Kiir was serious about the reunification of SPLM, first he must accept to return to the vision and program of SPLM to build a peaceful, just and prosperous new South Sudan for all and then implement fully the Arusha agreement to reunite the SPLM on the basis of returning to the vision and respecting the core values of the SPLM. The way Kiir is uh, doing reunification now is basically a total betrayal and a treachery to the SPLM. Efforts to reach Machar's spokesperson for comment have been unsuccessful. Pork both Baluang, Machar's acting press secretary, did not answer repeated calls. In October, Baluang said both President Kir and the SPLM party have no right to dismiss his boss as first deputy chairperson of the SPLM party. He says unless the three factions of the SPLM come together and sit down to decide on the fate of the SPLM and their political issues, no faction has authority to decide over the other. The SPLM National Liberation Council is the final decision-making political organ of the main SPLM faction. The party's political bureau first proposed ousting the two leaders in October. The SPLM party's disintegration started in December 2013 when senior members failed to agree to approve basic documents containing important policies such as the method of voting for party leaders. Since then, the party has split into more factions such as the SPLM IO headed by Machar, SPLM IG headed by Kir, really SPLM headed by Amum, and former detainees headed by Deng Alor. For viewer knows, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba. New fighting between factions of the SPLAIO have left at least four people dead in Upper Nile State. The SPLAIO Kidguang faction accuses SPLAIO forces loyal to first Vice President Riak Machar of starting the fight. For VOA News, Dengai Deng reports from Juba. Brigadier General Alfred Guy Thought, the spokesperson of the SPLAIO Kidguang faction, led by General Simon Gadwich Dual, says at least four people died and several others were injured after fighting rafted Monday in Upper Nile State. Guy accuses the SPLAIO forces loyal to first Vice President Riek Machar of starting the fight by attacking their base in a place called Tunja. In the morning hour at 5 a.m., the SPLA force, loyal to Riyak Mashar, the first vice president of the Republic of South Sudan, attacked our force in Tunja 
for almost 30 minutes in fighting. Then our force repelled them back to their location. Uh, two people dead from their side and several people wounded. So in our side, we, uh, two people died and two people wounded. Uh, we captured nine people from their size. Now they are in, in custody in our barrack. Uh, we captured nine AK-47 and one PKM. The fighting comes despite efforts to unify the various factions. Last February, more than 30 soldiers with SPLM AIO Kidwang faction arrived in Juba to follow up on implementing the Khartoum Peace Agreement signed earlier January of this year. The deal between President Salva Kiir's SPLM in government group and SPLM AIO Kidwang faction led by Gadwich allowed for the integration of Kidwang forces into the National Army. The South Sudan People's Forces. Gerald Gardwich signed an agreement with Kirs faction that guarantees the implementation of security arrangements and a permanent ceasefire. It also grants the Kidwang faction amnesty and promised to reintegrate the breakaway SPLAIO forces into the SSPDF within three months. Guy says that agreement has failed and is no longer capable of bringing a durable peace in the country. The Khartoum peace agreement that was signed on 16 uh, uh, on January 2022 with government in Juba is no longer functioning. And now it was the main source of infighting that followed by this fleet within SPLMIO Kidwang declaration on July 2022. And for that reason, we disregarded and call it a bribe, a bribery peace that only served the interests of the government in Juba rather than the union peace that can bring the durable peace in the country. Gerald Guy says the SPLM AIO Kidwang faction's next option is to call for regime change and it will continue fighting to replace what he calls a system in Juba that does not value the lives of citizens. Linda Tom, the spokesperson of the United Nations mission in South Sudan, says UNMIS is aware of the latest clashes between the armed factions in Tunja in Upper Nile State. Tom says UNMIS remains deeply concerned by the escalating violence in Upper Nile and surrounding areas. We have received reports of fighting that has erupted between armed factions in Tonga along the Nile River. UNHCR said yesterday that some 1,000 people have become internally displaced as they have fled the fighting in the last week due to insecurity in Tonga. Most of them are said to have settled at the protection of civilian site in Malakal, which is already overcrowded. There are also many who are fleeing and perhaps not able to access safety. Tom says UNMIS has also received reports of civilians affected by violence in Kodok, Abirok and other parts of Pashoda County where the situation remains tense and unpredictable. She says UNMIS will work to de-escalate tensions and create constructive dialogue. We note the significant impact of the deteriorating security situation on communities with civilian casualties and livelihoods and properties destroyed. UNMIS will continue to sustain their engagement at all levels to de-escalate tensions and encourage national and local authorities to initiate constructive dialogue as this is the only pathway to durable peace and sustainable development. Several phone calls and text messages to the SPLAIO spokesperson Colonel Lampol Gabriel for comment went unanswered. 
Local media quoted Lam as denying that the SPLAIO attacked the Kidguang faction's base, adding that in a state it was Kidguang faction soldiers who attacked them. In a joint press statement last week, Unmis, AU Miss, Igat, RJMEC, members of the African Diplomatic Corps and members of the international community convened a meeting to discuss the deteriorating security situation in Upper Nile State and the northern parts of Jongle State. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Juba. The South Sudan government says it is preparing to send 750 soldiers to the Democratic Republic of Congo under the East African Regional Force task to restore peace in the conflict-affected eastern part of the country. The spokesperson of the South Sudan People's Defense Force says the soldiers are still undergoing training, adding that the arms embargo imposed on South Sudan is slowing the process. For VOA News, Dengai Deng still has more from Juba. Major General Lul Rai Kong, the South Sudan People's Defense Force spokesperson, says the army is preparing to send a battalion of 750 soldiers to the Democratic Republic of Congo. The SSPDF troops will take part in the East African Regional Force, mandated to restore peace in the country's restive east. They are still um, under training while the government is... Uh... Exploring ways of um, giving them the necessary arms. They have been uh, undergoing training for the last six months. So that in terms of training, they are more ready to go for the mission. But of course, like I've said, that um, for, for them to go for a regional mission, to be given the necessary uh, combat support unit. Kong says the troops were selected from the various units of the SSPDF, the military police, the National Security Service, and the engineering corps. He says the international arms embargo on South Sudan hinders efforts to provide the necessary ammunition, but says the government will work with the regional leaders to resolve the matter. In May, the United Nations Security Council extended the arms embargo for one year. Last week, South Sudan's President Salva Kiir renewed calls to end the embargo imposed, saying the country needs arms to defend itself against external threats. The military spokesman did not reveal the exact date soldiers will go to DRC, but says the government is still working on releasing funds for the deployment. This force that is supposed to go to Congo, there must be a way uh, for them to be armed. And one of the ways is for sanctions to be lifted so that we are able to arm them. Or at least it should be waived. Or the regional leaders should find a way of, 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 of helping us in arming this, uh, this force so that they contribute towards uh, peace and stability in, in, in East and Central Africa. Speaking after inspecting the parade of a battalion preparing to go to DRC yesterday, the presidential advisor on national security, Tut Galwak, called on them to represent South Sudan in a professional manner and portray a good image of the country. You are now going to represent South Sudan and we are confident because when our army goes on mission outside South Sudan, it performs its duty to the fullest. We are confident that you will be the best army to participate in Congo and all African countries. I want you to be number one and to be at the forefront and your leadership will visit you not only here but also visit you wherever you go. The leadership of the state and President Salva Kiir assure that this year is to 
build a big national army. We don't want to be tribal anymore. We want the army of South Sudan. We want you to raise the flag and the name of South Sudan and raise the citizen of South Sudan. In August, the South Sudan cabinet approved 6.69 million U.S. dollars to deploy troops in the DRC. The South Sudanese force will join over 900 Kenyan troops who arrived in Goma in mid-November. Uganda also said it would send 1,000 soldiers under the EAC force. Leaders of the East African community resolved to send a joint force to deal with multiple armed groups in the DRC after the country became the seventh member of the bloc in April. The resurgence of the M23 rebel group in May this year prompted regional and international efforts to end the decades-long insecurity in eastern Congo. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Juba. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Coming up, a U.S.-based analyst says Sudan's latest agreement has lots of loopholes. Find out why after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... Name something that you haven't tried but hope to someday. I never drive a car, but I hoped to because I've grown in a poor background and in my life I desire to do so. I want to travel from Uganda to a different country because I've never, yeah, I've never moved out of Uganda. I've never tried bumpy jumping, but I would like to try it one time. I've not tried paragliding before, but I would like to try it someday, being at the top of the mountain, jumping and flying the sky like a bird. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. A U.S.-based analyst says... Despite Western countries endorsing Sudan's military-civilian framework agreement, the deal does not reform civilian-military relations in Sudan, and the military will likely continue to have the upper hand. Cameron Hudson, senior associate at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, says for the deal to achieve a civilian-led democratic transition in Sudan, the West must apply significant pressure on Sudan's military leaders. Nebel Biagio has more from Washington. Speaking on behalf of a group of Western countries at the signing ceremony in Khartoum yesterday, the U.S. Ambassador to Sudan, John Godfrey, welcomed the deal and urged parties to continue dialogue to reach a final agreement. Godfrey told reporters that the restoration of a civilian-led government is the only way the U.S. and other partners would resume economic assistance to Sudan, which they suspended following the coup in October 2021. Quad and Troika members support this Sudanese-led process and condemn spoilers attempting to restrict political space and undermine Sudan's stability and democratic transition. A concerted effort to finalize negotiations and reach agreement quickly to form a new civilian-led government is essential to address Sudan's urgent political, economic, security, and humanitarian challenges. 
This is the key to unlocking the resumption of international development assistance and deeper cooperation between the government of Sudan and international partners. The Quad and Troika are made up of Norway, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Godfrey reiterated the U.S. and other partners stand ready to support a civilian-led government in Sudan, which would put the country on a path to democratic transition again following a military coup in October last year. We are working with partners to coordinate significant economic support to a civilian-led transitional government to help address the challenges facing the people of Sudan. There is now a credible path to a final agreement that would take Sudan out of its current political process. We respectfully urge all Sudanese stakeholders to seize that opportunity. But Africa expert Cameron Hudson says despite the international and regional accolades, the agreement leaves a lot to be desired. When you peel back the details of this agreement, you see that, uh, that the military and the RSF have remained uh, independent of the state, have remained, have retained their powers, uh, and will continue to do so. This is not, I think, an agreement that suggests in any way that the military and associated forces have any intention of reforming themselves or their relationship with the state. And the fact of the matter is, is as the agreement was being signed, the military was firing tear gas at protesters not one mile away from where this agreement was being signed. Hudson says Sudan's regional partners have different interests for supporting Monday's deal. He says the U.S. and other Western partners might be a bit too desperate to make progress on restoring a civilian-led government in Sudan. I think it's a massive embarrassment for the international community, which had donor conferences and which celebrated Sudan's civilian transition two years ago, three years ago. It's a huge embarrassment, not only that that transition failed, but that for the last year they had been unable to dislodge the military from uh, its hold on power and been unable to walk back the coup. And so I think that Western embassies are are really desperate to show progress and they believe that any deficiencies in this agreement can be made up for in subsequent rounds of negotiations. Hudson says to make this agreement credible, the international community should have put significant pressure on the military to honor it by pledging serious consequences for spoilers. If we want to apply real pressure, uh, and I don't think that the economy is real pressure, then obviously there is, there remain there remain options. We can we can put in place a sanctions regime uh, that would target anyone undermining this agreement, anyone uh, not implementing this agreement fully. We can put in place consequences uh, right now in order to support this deal uh, and to prevent um, spoilers. But we have to just be clear-eyed about the fact that. This document was written by spoilers. It was signed by spoilers. So for us to be thinking now about how do we prevent this this, this agreement from being spoiled, well, we sort of missed the whole point of this. 
parties to Monday's framework agreement agreed to continue negotiating a final agreement to establish a civilian-led government and get the country back on a path to democratic transition. For VOA News, I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. Cyril Ramaphosa is not South Africa's first president or leader of the ruling African National Congress to be dogged by allegations of corruption, while graft claims do not surprise most South Africans. Analysts say it is taking a toll on the ANC's popularity. Zahir Qasim reports from Johannesburg. Nelson Mandela's ANC party may have brought freedom to South Africa, but that freedom has been marred by corruption allegations at the party's highest levels. On Monday, the ANC faces a crisis after a report by an independent panel found that President Cyril Maposa may have broken the law and violated his oath of office. The panel's report says large amounts of foreign currency were stolen from a sofa at Ramaphosa's private game farm in 2020 and that he did not report that the money was missing. The source of the money remains unclear. Ramaphosa has denied wrongdoing and has not been charged with any crimes. People on the streets of Johannesburg said they felt let down by the president and the ruling party. This is 28-year-old Gareth Mukuri, an IT technician. I'm always disappointed by the ANC. I don't have any faith in them. Uh, they don't do much for us. They do much for themselves and their families. Patrick Tandy is a company director in Johannesburg. I mean, I was very hopeful um, when there was the original change when the ANC came to power. And it's just been a systematic uh, disappointment um, over, the, over the decades of ANC uh, power and leadership. Despite the frustration of another scandal, experts say the ANC faces tough choices regarding Ramaphosa's future with the party. Political scientist Roland Henwood explains. All the um, surveys that I'm aware of indicates that if Mr Ramaphosa leaves the ANC, the level of support drops by anything between 5 and 10%, maybe even a bit more, which leaves the party at somewhere between 35 and 45% national support. So that means they no longer have the majority to govern if we go to an election now. And they say the party has seen declining support with every election due to its failure to provide basic services like clean water and electricity to the public. Former President Jacob Zuma's tenure was clouded by corruption allegations as the nation's infrastructure declined. An inquiry into state graft also found that under Zuma's watch, state anti-corruption units had been dismantled and law enforcement weakened. Ramaphosa campaigned on fighting graft, and even though it's been a long journey, Kavisha Pillay of anti-graft group Corruption Watch says Ramaphosa has made improvements. Prior to President Ramaphosa's appointment, or uh, prior to his election into office, civil society wasn't allowed a seat at the table. We were often shunned, distrusted. Um, there was no real working relationship, whereas now I think there's quite a solidified relationship because the ANC government under Ramaphosa has taken a, an approach to say that fighting corruption is a whole of society initiative. It can't just be up to government or to, up to law enforcement. So they're invo- involving everybody. Ramaphosa says he will challenge the disciplinary report. Political analysts say he is a strong contender to remain the party's president at the ANC's conference due to begin December 16th. Sayyid so Kassam for VOA News, Johannesburg. Oh, 
That's all we prepared for you this Tuesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Sudan by Lomerica Jasban. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us this evening. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.